Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is The Stacks Book Club Day and it's National Poetry Month. So we're talking about Jericho Brown's Pulitzer Prize winning poetry collection, The Tradition, with poet, lawyer, and activist, Reginald Dwayne Betts. If you don't know who Reginald Dwayne Betts is, he was our guest the first week of April, and I suggest you go back and listen. He is also the founder of the Million Book Project, which is the organization that we're attempting to raise $50,000 for this month. Million Book Project brings new books into prisons to counteract what prison does to the human spirit. And we are well on our way to hitting our goal, and I'm just asking you to click the link in the show notes to donate what you can, because every human deserves access to books. And as a reminder, Million Book Project is run through Yale's law school. So when you do click that link, you'll be redirected to a Yale donation page. Don't worry, you're in the right place. And thank you, thank you, thank you for contributing to this organization. The Stacks Book Club pick for May is Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. We'll be discussing the book on the podcast on Wednesday, May 26th. And if you haven't started yet, don't worry. If you start today, you only have to read 28 pages a day to finish in time for the episode. You can do it. I want to say thank you to the Stacks Pack, the people who contribute to this podcast monthly over on Patreon. Without you all, there would be no podcast. If you'd like to help support me and the work of the show and earn perks like discounts on merch and access to our virtual book club, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join. This week, I'm saying thank you to some of our newest members, Laura Galler, Kara Babkich, Dog Mom Bookworm, Emily, Melissa Allam, Corey Thomas, Reading with Glamour, Haley Johnston, Rachel Rogers, and Smile, It's Joy. Thank you so much for your support. I could not do it without you all. And now it's time to talk poetry with Reginald Dwayne Betts by way of Jericho Brown's The Tradition. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Stacks. I am here today again with Reginald Dwayne Betts, who from here on out, I will call Dwayne because that's the name he likes to be called. And if you haven't listened to his first episode, you would know that only people he doesn't like call him Reginald. (laughs) Hi, how are you? Welcome back. It is my pleasure. How you doing? 
I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited. So it is the last week of National Poetry Month um, as of this airing. And you graciously, as a poet and a memoirist and an activist and a lawyer and all these things, you graciously agreed to come on the podcast and talk to me a heathen about poetry. And I am terrified of this conversation because I don't want to sound stupid, but I also feel like maybe I understood some of the poetry. So we'll see how I did. But for those of you listening, we're going to discuss Jericho Brown's Pulitzer Prize winning poetry collection called The Tradition. Um, And Dwayne is going to help us sort of those of us who are nervous about poetry talk about it. And also those of you who love poetry talk about it because this collection is very good. And I, I felt like it was accessible for me. I didn't, I didn't feel as stupid as I thought I was going to when I heard the words Pulitzer Prize and poetry put together. Um, so where we always start, Dwayne, with these conversations is just sort of generally, what, do you, what did you think of the book? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've been reading Jericho's poetry for a minute. And so, and so I'm a fan. And so I think the question, I always feel biased asking the question because I knew I would dig the book <laughs> before I even read it. But I, I think, though, what I will say is it is hard to go back to America again and again and make worse out of it. And it is hard to do it in a way that feels um, capacious and not reductive. And, um, and he does it, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, I will say that as far as poets go, it is hard not to be overwhelmed by your obsessions. Mm-hmm. And he writes not just about we all have multitudinous obsessions, but we have publicly recognizable obsessions. So for me, my obsession is obviously prison. Mm-hmm. And that is what the public recognizes. Um, and so Jericho's obsession is, is sexuality and gender. And yet he does a really impressive job of always pushing up beyond that in a way in which you recognize that maybe his real obsession is blackness. And, mm-hmm. and that blackness is capacious enough to hold questions of, of gender, of sexuality, of violence, of history. Of, of fatherhood and and I really do think um I mean this book came out the same year my book came out and so in in a way it was one of those situations where um I was constantly asking myself how I feel about the success of my peers mm. and, and and he was one of those cats that was like doing really well and and I was happy to know that I really did feel like he earned this shit you know what I mean yeah because you don't always feel that way you, you sometimes you feel like judges fucked up yeah, but, but I felt like he got all he earned all the praise he got. I want to ask you about obsessions because I'm very fascinated about this because I think it's like it's not just what you, the artist, obsesses over, but it's also what the public obsesses over about you. The people decide about you that's that true. that's like where you're pigeonholed or whatever. I think is another way of saying it. I'm curious, just for you, if if you weren't writing about prison, if you could write about one of your other obsessions, one of the other things that you are passionate about. What what do you think you would like to write about? So if I had a project and I was like, all right, I'm going to write a series of poems about this thing. Often this comes out in essays, but I just had this question frequently. I'll write a bunch of poems about basketball. Mm. Um, and then I've recently been writing a lot of poems about about flowers, though. Hmm. It's, a, uh, you know, strange, man, that these, these these names of flowers are like radically wild. You know, it, it's, 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 it's beautiful in a way. You got these Latinate names that feel ridiculous. But then you had these names that trying to really get at the world, and you're like, "Oh shit, that 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 is like sort of um, beauty there, right?" So, for instance, um, you know, the orange daylily. I got a tree in my yard. It's a saucer magnolia, 
and and it's beautiful. It's pink, and just to think about what it looks like, it's I got these these I think daffodils or tulips, and they're called um, Narcissus poet. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. It's like this is my flower right here. <laughs> um, it's called the poet's narcissus. Mm. You know, and so and it's a um and it's a daffodil, and I didn't know that. And so what happens is I'm taking pictures of these things, and and I'm thinking of ideas based on the flowers. So I would write about flowers, but then I would use the flowers. The flowers will come away for me to write about something else, though, and and it might return to prison because automatically now I'm thinking, you know, where I didn't see anything bloom hmm. is in the, is in the dirt, in the prison dirt, like right. like like it's easy to grow stuff. Flowers are cheap and inexpensive, and they return year after year, and there's no real reason for there not to be any flowers in prison, except there can't be anything beautiful in prison, except us when you know some nights were still beautiful, but. I think, and I would write about my family more, hmm. you know, and I, and I think what I wouldn't write about and what I wouldn't write for is the Americans who imagine my community must be responding to their existence, hmm. you know? And so that's, that could be anything, you know, I, I'm from PG County. I, I would write something that was deeply and richly PG County. You know, in a way that don't give a fuck if you're from Detroit or New York or Texas or California. It's not trying to fit itself in your understanding of what it meant to be a black boy in 1986 in PG County, Maryland, in a place that felt like another kind of black belt where it was, you know, one white student all through elementary school and two Chinese kids all through elementary school and some other Southeast Asian kids that were so fucking ostracized that. We didn't even have a name for who they were. They were just, we just called them their name. Right. They didn't have a culture or a history or a heritage, <laughs> right, right? Right, right, right. I would write about what it meant to try to be a good kid in that space and what it means to be an adult reflecting on how easy it was not to see others, you know, even while bemoaning how, like, we weren't seen. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I like that. Okay. Let's talk about the collection. Sorry. I just, you know, I get curious about things. I just want to talk about them. Um, yeah. So- my first question, and this is actually something that you and I have talked about via email in January, and I'd love to just hear you talk about it for other people because it's something that really made me stop and think, which is, is poetry fiction or nonfiction? And what does that mean or say about yeah, yeah. poetry or why does that matter or why is that important to even classify it or is it? And just go ahead. <laughs> That's interesting um, because I think some of the poems resist that kind of that kind of classification. And if you slow down and hear the poem, you realize that poetry is existing in some liminal space between fiction and nonfiction. Hmm. And so, so for me, what that means is poetry is a is, is versatile. Poets are chameleons. Sometimes they can't help but to write out of their own experience. Sometimes something hits them and strikes them so deeply and passionately that they need to render it in verse. And it might be a blow for blow recitation of something that happened to them. But I think the power of poetry, particularly for somebody like me who also writes memoir, is I get to get outside of myself like the fiction writer. I get to embody characters. I get to embody ideas. I get to feel um, better than I am or worse than I am on a page and I get to do it in a way that's not tied down to facts. And so I think, I think, I think poetry just is, mm. you know, I think poetry just is because what happens is I was listening to DMX. It fucked me up that DMX died and it ain't fucked me up. Like I ain't one of them niggas who be like, 
this 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 celebrity died or this musician died and it it hit me because you know because their music meant so much to me or whatever i just i'm just not one of those people right mm-hmm. me neither. um but what hit me when dmx died is uh is like in 98 when he had them two albums that dropped i was entering prison and, and and I missed his singles and everything because I was in prison. So so like his music was the first was the first indication for me that shit was still going on in the world that I was missing out on. Because you you get sent to the jail and you don't got access to a radio and you can't really listen to the radio station. And then you get sent to juvie and you can't listen to the radio. And then you get sent to like the the prison and you at receiving and you don't have access to the radio. And then you want to compound and people listen to music because they had had access to the radio. And you like, wait, hmm. the world was still going. You know, I realized I had missed two years, but then going back to his music, I'm like some of the grimiest things he said and some of the more painful things he said. I'm like, do they matter? Because they make me believe I, I know Earl Simmons. Do they matter because they make me believe I know DMX? I'm like, no. They matter because they hit me in some emotional space that makes me think differently about what it means to be human. Mm. You know, and, and I think that's fundamentally different from like you reading a memoir. Because the memoir should do that same thing, but the memoir often has to make you respond to the person in a different way. So when you read Andre Agassi's Open, you like, fuck, I got a whole different kind of respect for Andre Agassi. You right, know? right, right. And you shouldn't respect me because you read some poems I wrote. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't love me because you read some poems I wrote. Because frankly, those poems don't necessarily give you deep insight into who Reginald Dwayne Betts is as a human being. Right. Because there's my, not an assumption you know, that you're necessarily telling the truth with poetry either. Like with a memoir, right. there's an assumption that there is some form of truth to the author at least maybe it's not fact checkable but with poetry it's like this could just be something that this person created or this could be something that's reflective and there's no we misread poetry when we demand in our own head that it reflects something about the writer right because that's not why it matters you know like 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 i feel like dmx doesn't matter because his work reflects something about him because i don't know him could never know him but I know what his music makes me feel and how it makes me think. And that's what I think that's what Jericho book does. You know, I don't think we should read this and think we know him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we should read it and think we we, we have a, some insight into some of the ways his mind works. And because of that, we have uh, added insight into how we might want to think about the world, given those considerations. Right. Yeah, because I agree that I when I read this book, I definitely was like, who is this person? Like, I, I felt I didn't necessarily feel like I knew who Jericho was at all. And I went ahead and listened to him on some other podcasts and I got a better sense for him. Um, but I, I when I finished the the collection, I was not like, oh, I, I know who this is. I actually had more questions about him and his life and was like trying to Google things and be like, what is happening? And people might say, yo. But that is him. And I'd be like, yo, but I don't, I mean, me and Jericho are friends, but I don't, like, I don't know his mama name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, and, right. And, and I'm not like, and, and I'm, I'm telling you that I'm friends with a lot of people. And if they think they know me mm. and they ain't seen me cry, right? then they bugging. Or if they think they know me and I haven't revealed some deeply, you know, the people that you're really close to are few. And I think that as writers, what happens is um, because of um, if we're good, we tend to be vulnerable, either if it's our vulnerability or the vulnerability that we 
invoke in the things that we write, people tend to think that that makes us more accessible as humans. Mm. But that's false. That's just people who don't know us believing that. You know, I I want you to value the poems. I think of stuff in these poems just like, whoa, let me think again about how I thought about that thing that you're writing about. You know, right. and, 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 and let me see where that takes me. Do you feel like you can always tell what the person's writing about? That's where I struggle. Yeah. It's like sometimes well, I read a poem and I'm like, I don't know what we're even talking about. I feel like I get in these places where I'm like, okay, like what? You know, sometimes the title's like on flowers and I'm like, great, we're talking about flowers. But sometimes it's like, you know, an adverb or something. And I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about. Like, I don't. I, like. So what we should do, what we should do is think of both. Like in this poem, in these poems, because you know, I mean, there's is, there's we, literally a poem in this collection called "Flower." I just I wasn't making a dig at that poem, but there is one now. I'm like flipping through. That's how poetry works. Because I was talking to you about flowers earlier, so yeah. I think what we should do is we should talk. Be like, okay, is it a poem in here that is like I don't know what the hell it's about? And you'll challenge me, and I might be like, yo, look. Sometimes it ain't about nothing. Sometimes it's the yin yang twins, right? You know, sometimes from the window to the wall. What is that? <laughs> And ain't nobody been in a club rocking to it and be like, wait a minute. I actually don't understand what he's talking about. You know, so I think we got to give ourselves permission in poems to find pleasure and a lack of meaning if there is pleasure for us to find. And so that pleasure might come in addiction. It might come in the words. It might come in the sounds. Or we might just say, you know what? I think this poet actually means something that they aren't clearly communicating to me. Mm. And I'm going to put this one to the side. And I'm going to rock with the ones that I think are trying to communicate something that I could grasp because sometimes you can't get it, you know, but, but I think Jericho is one of those poets who, who he probably would say, if you don't get the thing that he's saying, he made some, some mistake. And and we could, we should talk about a few because I know a few that's like, damn, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? And then he like sort of pulls the rug under the carpet or whatever the hell that is, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and it reveals itself only on the last line. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 so the way that, let me just tell you how I approach reading poetry and you tell me how wrong, how wrong or right this is. <laughs> Cause you tell that I'm like a very black and white person that I really like rules and regulations. And so I think that's part of my problem <laughs> with poetry, I think, is that it's like, I, I think I have to do too much work as the the reader i just want to be yeah. told all the information you know, what's, what's messed up is like when i found out your podcast was called the stacks i was like this shit is dope and then when we were talking you said how much you love nonfiction. i realized why i never connected the stacks to like books hmm. because the stacks is really really like smart people who like nonfiction. go like i started thinking about the stacks when i was in law school and i'm going <laughs> into the stacks but i never associated it with like fiction. And what I love is you bring all of these writers on and it's, it, and it's cross pollinating. And so now <laughs> I'm telling people like, like I'm going to be like, yo, we building the stacks in prison. That's what I'm gonna call the freedom library. They're like, what is the What is the piece? I'm like, Oh, those are the stacks. And you, you can't have a library without stacks. And those are the, it's not a bookshelf. Those are the stacks. Right. You know? Right. I but love boy, it. How you approach it. But so, okay. So how I approach reading poetry is that if I like a poem, I'm like, great, I got it. I like it. And if I don't like it or I don't get it, I just move on. Like I don't take any time to reevaluate. I just assume that that poem is not for me in that moment. 
You know what I mean? Oh. And like, so, like sometimes like I'll be on the internet and like a poem will come up and I'll start reading it and I'm like, I'm not, this does not grab me and I'll just stop reading it. Like I don't take time to really, unless I really like it. If I really like it, I might read through it like two or three times. Like I was reading a poem by Nate Marshall last night and I was like, ooh, I really like this. And so I read it like five times and I was like, this is very good. <laughs> Shout out to Nate Marshall from Chicago. Uh, yeah. We still supposed to rap about his book. It's we supposed to rap really about good. his last book. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. All right. So personal question. Okay. Do you drink? Not really. No. Okay. So that doesn't work for you. I drink. Okay. And I remember <laughs> as a kid, I remember as a kid, like drinking Mad Dog 2020. I don't even know what that is. Is that like a beer? It is horrible. It's, it's no, it's like a, it's like a wino drink. Okay. It's so it's basically like Kool-Aid, but okay. with a okay. lot of alcohol in it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And then I came and then I got out of prison. And the first thing I had was like like Hennessy or something, but the regular Hennessy, and it like burn your throat, and mm-hmm. it ain't really good. No. And you drink it again, and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna get drunk. But then you have something that's really great, but you got to get accustomed to it, like the, mm-hmm. the smokiness of of like you know scotch, sure. the, the sort of peatiness of it, or or like with the difference between something that's been aged for ten years and something that's just fresh out of the barrel. And the point is that. The flavors develop. And I think the same thing happens with, say, with, say, ramen. And you got a 14-hour ramen soup, right, that Mm. they've been, like, like letting the flavor steep for 14 hours versus when you make a pack of oodles and noodles. Right. Fuck me up when somebody was like, let's go have ramen. And I'm like, I'm never eating ramen again. And then I go to this this Japanese restaurant, and it's like, this is not what we had in prison. (laughs) Right. Okay. So here, listen to this, though. The reason I don't drink and it's not because of any like holier than thou. I don't care. I like like if, if a drink tastes good, like there's a margarita that I love in L.A. from a place called Petty Cash. It's my favorite drink ever. Um, I will drink it and I will drink plenty of it. I don't drink because I don't like the taste of alcohol, which is sort of what I'm saying about poetry. Well, it's poetry, like right. when I get to a poem that I don't like or I don't get, I just don't waste my time on it. If I go to a bar and I order a cocktail and it tastes gross, I will not finish it. I will not drink it. I do not like it. I will not order a cocktail from a place like I will not get a well drink. Like I won't just go get like vodka cranberry. Like, no, thank you. It has to be like a, a cocktail that sounds delicious. I won't drink anything up. I'm kind of bougie. I don't suggest you get a well drink either. Although if you get it, you could get, but that's the thing. That's what you mix drinks for. You could get a man. Uh, but I mean, like I at the night, this. like I won't, if I go to a nightclub or something, which I don't do anymore, obviously I'm, I'm washed. But when I used to, I would never drink bottles. Like, you know, they bring you whatever. And like, I'm like, I don't want this with soda water. Like I, I want a cocktail with pieces of snacks in it. <laughs> like I want smoke <laughs> on top. I want to be wowed by flavor. I want that's a rim. Me. So, but I see, this is how I messed up. Because cause the thing is, like, I guess what I mean is with the poems, you got to be willing to develop a taste for some things. And, and I don't think, though, it's the same thing. I'll go, you take a sip. Mm, that's not good. And maybe the, a, a, another time you take a sip of a similar drink made by somebody else. I mean, that's what we do with poems. But the thing that we have to do with poems is like, I ask this, though. I won't go back to a poem again if I didn't like it at all. Mm. But every time I read the poem, I'm like, is it one line in here that I'm really feeling? And then I might write that line down. It's just like, I look at it like, I, I think my comparison is when I listen to music. I frequently don't dig music the first time I hear it. Same. But it might be a hook that I like. It might be a beat. And the problem is like, poetry lacks all of that accompaniment. So you got to be, like, I said some shit once and somebody said it sounded cool. 
And I was like, damn, I'm going to say this shit all the time. And it was like, it was like, but alas. It's just two words. You know, it was like, but alas, right? And and in this long thing I had said, the person was like, yo, but when you say but alas, that shit sounded like. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start saying that shit. And, and so now those two words end up in a lot of my poems or some poems. But for no other reason, and I started to like how they sounded because somebody else said it sounded dope. And my point is, when you listen to poetry, when you read poetry, the first thing is not like, do you get the whole poem? The first thing is, is it anything in this poem that gives you joy? Mm. And and meaning and joy is two different things. I think that sometimes our, our literary and, and, and like sort of this is how it has to be brain forces us to imagine that joy and comprehension are equivalent. And I think joy and comprehension just frankly aren't equivalent. I got a puppy. I never understand what the fuck this puppy is doing. And I get an endless <laughs> amount of joy from the puppy doing things, you know? And so right. I think that, I think that, and, and the poetry is brief enough that it gives us the opportunity to disconnect joy from comprehension. But I find joy in understanding things. Like one of the things that brings me so much joy is the aha moment, which is why if I get a poem, like if I'm like, oh, I know what they're talking about, or like, I can relate to this. That's when I enjoy it. Cause I'm like, oh, I get it. And I hear what you're saying that I need to not do that yeah. basically. But it's like, I don't, I don't like feeling like I don't get it. Like I don't like, cause even in poems that I like, I often don't get plenty of parts of them. <laughs> like I'm like, wait, I don't know. But I, I do, I hear what you're saying. Like I might like a stanza or like, I might like the way something rhymes. Like for example, um, I don't know how to say the word, the, the guzzle, guzzle, gazelle. Yeah, the from, guzzle. Yeah, the guzzle. The guzzle, yeah. Like what I liked about that poem when I read it in your book is I liked that it had that rhyme structure. And so that right. was my way in. And then I could read it and be like, oh, I get this. Also, it's a pretty like straightforward poem in the fact that I understood what you were talking about pretty much right off the bat. But but every one of those couplets, but those, this is like the, the quintessential nonlinear, non-narrative poem. Because I say like, name a song that tells a man what to expect after prison. Explains Occam's razor. You're still a suspect after prison. That couplet says one thing that is completely unrelated to my lover doesn't believe in my sadness. She says whiskey, not time, left me wrecked after prison. Like like those two couplets are in the same poem and you could like the first one right. and hate the other one and just be like, you know what? I'm rocking with this. Because I like that little after prison that keeps coming up. Right. But and that's I like that, that form you know? part that we talked about last time. Yeah. I love form. I think form yeah. is super exciting and interesting. And so I feel like, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is that poetry is so vast. I guess just like books are, I mean, or prose books are, in the sense that like you can like something for a, for various reasons. Like someone might like that poem because of, the rhyming, that person is me, the form, right? Like that, that keeps coming back to that after prison moment. Or someone might like it because of stanza two or stanza four or whatever. Right. And I, I, I think that's what's interesting and frustrating to me about poetry is like it's where when you're talking about prose, it's there's only if I, I mean, I guess there's a multitude of things that people could like about prose too. I don't know. I don't know what my hang up is. I don't know why I struggle. I think I feel insecure about reading poetry also. And so I let that get in my way. Like, I don't get it. I'm too dumb to get this or like something silly, which that's a me thing, obviously. And I need to like. It's just, but I also think though, no, I think that um, in, in America, poetry is cloistered. And so I do yeah. think that like, like, so I don't want to, I don't want to give poets a complete break on this. Like, frankly, 
a lot of poets have said are, it's not my job to write something that you understand. Right. And and a lot of poets have been awarded, whether it's through awards or through like getting into academic programs or through getting jobs where, look, my poetry book has a print run of a thousand, you know, my first few poetry books, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my last book had a larger print run and a larger audience, but even that larger audience pales in comparison to, um, you know, what, what my print run will be for my nonfiction book. Right. And, and, and I'm talking about exponentially, even the amount of money that I got paid for one versus the other pales in comparison. And we talking about pales in comparison when neither one of them really allowed me to like live well, right? Mm-hmm. Neither one of them allowed me to write and not work. And still I got paid exponentially more for the nonfiction than the poetry. And when I say exponentially more, I know people who buy bottles of alcohol that cost more than my advance was for my poetry book. Wow. And I think part of that is part and parcel with us living in a contemporary moment where the poet is not expected to communicate with all of the people. So, you know, you, you saying that like, you don't get it or whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, some of it is that poets don't give a fuck if you get it. Right. You know, they like, yo, if you don't get it, I mean, first of all, you ain't buying enough of my books anyway for me to care if you get it. <laughs> and then if you don't get it, you know what? I've spent, I got, I got a degree that costs 60 grand. So if you don't get it, it's clearly your fault because my right. education means that this shit is dope. Right. And so I think it's some give and take because think about it. Haki Matabuti, when he was Don L. Lee, it's like 67, between 67 and 70. He was on the cover of Jet. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a poet being on the cover of anything these days? No. Right, besides he their own the poetry co- book. <laughs> right, he he was on the cover of Jet, and poets won't put themselves on on the cover of their own poetry books because it, cause it seems uh, it's, yeah, you know, I wouldn't put Nick, myself on the Nikki cover. Nikki Giovanni did it. Nikki Giovanni did it and does it, but she's a gangster. But she's also but Nikki like, Giovanni, so right. But he sold like 70,000 copies. I mean, wow. he sold so many poetry books back between 67 and 70. One of these books came out that he was able to build third world books. Poets ain't selling like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even have an expectation to have an audience of 60,000 people that want to hear something that we we have to say. And so I think it, it ain't just you. You know what I mean? I think it's also poets. And, and I don't know. I mean, I actually do think that it's the job of poets to think about new and radical ways to make people hear us. Yeah. Do you think that hip hop music, because I mean, you've mentioned it a few times and there's clearly, you know, a connection between the writing of lyrics and poetry, right? I mean, it's poetry plus sound and and music, you know, or whatever, however you want to say it. But do you think that that had something to do with the poet as potential celebrity or someone who might be on the cover of a magazine that once we started seeing poetry put to music and these, these like rappers and other... I mean, I think specific, I'm specifically talking about rappers. I shouldn't say hip hop in general, but do you think that like, maybe there was like that people, like that black people were still consuming poetry, but it was in this different package. And now the kind of written poetry is, is different or no? Nah, cause I was just listening to Simon and Garfunkel. That bridge under uh, uh, under troubled water shit. Yeah, man, that shit hard as hell. You know, right? What I mean? After you listen to it for the tenth time, you're like, "What the fuck?" You know what I mean? Aretha like, Franklin's version is out of this. Well, world. yeah, but, but well, I agree with that, right? But wait, but the reason why I mentioned Simon and Garfunkel is because somebody was telling me how great a, a song it was, and I listened to it. And I was like, "The fuck is this shit?" Yeah. 
and I had to listen to it ten times before I was like, "Oh, this is Aretha song." Yeah. You know, like 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 I couldn't even hear the same song, and by the time I was able to recognize it, I was able to appreciate the Simon and Garfunkel version. But you could say the same thing about like Bruce Springsteen. Shit, you could say the same thing about Queen. I mean, but that's so, not so, black culture. Yeah, but that's but poets poetics is not black culture. No, like, I know, poets, but I'm I'm thinking of your example of like Jet magazine because that was a black magazine, and I'm wondering if hip hop artists maybe took the took the poetry, put it to music, and took it away from more straight up poetry. I mean, I think it's cultural yeah, yeah. across the board. Well, maybe I wasn't maybe I wasn't being fair either because I think hockey he got on the cover of Jet because it was also a particular cultural moment. I see, and it was like the starting of black arts movement. It was the starting of I'm sorry. Black studies and universities. Right, so right, it wasn't right. just I because see. of his role as a poet. Sonia Sanchez was one, I think she founded the first Black Studies program. So it wasn't just him as a poet, but I'm just saying that right. him as a poet was able to, like, like okay, I do shit around prison. That did not get me the cover of anything right. with Felon. You right, know what right, I mean? right, right, right. Um, and I think the thing that hip hop did, though, and I guess that's my point, is that, like, the music gives you more than just the words. Right. And it gives you a collective way to enjoy it. You know, like right. nobody's like, reading poetry out loud and being like, hey, I'm going to read this poem and we're all going to dance in the club. Like it's just a, di- right. it's a different vibe. Like you could go to a poetry right. reading, but it's not on that same mass level as like, let's get lit and have a fun night and have this shared right. thing. And you can't even, I mean, you can't even, you can't rock to no poetry and be like, I don't even care about the words. I'm just doing my homework. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but you put on DMX, I write poems to DMX. I'm right. like, you know, I'm like nod my head hearing a beat and then at some point the words just disappear but poems i don't know man I, it's poems it's hard you know but like look there was a world and um and Marlon james talks about this in one of his interviews when he's thinking about um black black leopard red wolf you know there was a world where all you had was words and it was all oral, and you didn't have a book to pick up mm-hmm. and 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 a job at a griot was to do multiple things it was to give you a rhythm to dance to. And that's why you had your guitar with you. It was to give you a rhythm to dance to, but it was also to disseminate history. And, you know, you think about the tradition. I think Jericho was trying to do a bunch of those things. It ain't shit to dance to in his book, but that's because poets have lost the ability to sing in such a way that asks you to dance. Mm. I mean, we might get back to it, but also our skill set has been narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. So, you know, we don't have to know how to play the guitar as a part of the accompaniment, accompaniment for the song that we're singing. And and we don't got to have a club smash. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like like the, the, the hip hop artist, he got to have a club smash. So right. he got to be able to do two things. He got to be able to say, I'm slipping, falling, and can't get up. And what these women want from, right. you know, like imagine a poet with that range. You know what I mean? Like, like the the bandwidth to be able to do like, like the, the the sort of deeply personal. I'm going through all of these things, and yo, let's rock out in a club, hmm. in three different voices. You know right. what I mean? Like, like you go to a poetry reading. Sometimes I'm struggling with it. I'm like, how do I make you hear me in 17 different ways over the course of an hour? I'm afraid. You know, like like sometimes I think poets are too afraid of how what bandwidth we have vocally to communicate the words that we say. And so maybe part of what folks don't understand or do understand is based on their ability to hear that comes from like what we make use of. Do you think of your poems as being something that should be read aloud when you're writing them? Or do you think of them as something to be read on the page? Because 
oftentimes like the form of the poem, it might look different. Some might be, you know, stanzas that have paragraph breaks in between. Some might be a bunch of lines. How are you thinking about the way that a poem might sound in the world or not? So this is the other part about form poetry and, and music that that gives the the age the listener in understanding, right? Because part of it is just the mnemonic of how you hear shit. And part of it is the the way in which the rhyme, rhyme scheme gives you access to how the poet wanted you to say it. But I think of like free verses like jazz. And so you leave little notes, but you want the reader to be able to play around within a verse and get different meanings. But as I, I write more and more, one of the reasons why I do consider myself um, a formalist is because I think writing in form and with discrete structures allows you to give the reader more guidance when they're reading a poem. Like some folks be like, I ain't going to use punctuation. And I feel like if you're not going to use punctuation, that shit got to be so funky that if you put six people in a room, you could get some approximate reading that's close to each other. Mm. And, and and I think that's a that's a challenge. I mean, that's a challenge for poetry. It's a challenge for free verse. But again... If you write in form, then you could break out of that challenge and you could give the reader um, more clues on how to hear it or how to read it when they read it aloud. But even within free verse, you could do its tricks, though. You could use rhetorical devices. You could use internal and external rhyme. You could use just all kinds of things, punctuation, to, to signal how you scan in line and, and get a, a narrow bandwidth of possibilities for the reader. And they'll get joy you know, out of saying, yo, I actually know how this should sound. They should read it out loud, though. Mm. I mean, they should. my son is downstairs, like, yo, I, I hate it, man. I got to watch much ado about nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, you can't be complaining about Shakespeare in this house. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and listening to Shakespeare, I think, is a master lesson in how actors control um, a line. And, well, you know this because yeah. you're a theater person. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, how, that's uh, what I always tell people about Shakespeare is like, you know, it's meant to be heard out loud. It was never meant to be read off the page, which is sort of where my question is rooted in is like, when you write poetry, do you think about it as something that will be read off the page? Or do you think about it as something that's to be heard out loud? But the thing that's funky about Shakespeare, though, is within that iambic pentameter, the actor comes to it and shows you how you could develop that line in two, three, four, five different ways. Yeah. So it's interesting because within free verse, it has the same possibilities, but because it has no structure, mm-hmm. it feels like it has too many possibilities. Yeah, it's too open. Right. Where the actor is like, you like, damn, dude, what's dope? He got that out of Shakespeare? Like that shit with um, Leonardo DiCaprio? The Romeo, Romeo and, and Juliet? But they did not this- abide by the iambic pentameter at all in that movie. They were like, they were like, oh, what is iambic pentameter? We don't actually but- want to have that conversation. We just want to say these words out loud. But they said the but but I'm saying they said the words out loud though in a way that still sounded like that shit sounded Shakespearean, all right? Am I yeah, wrong? Yeah, no, it sounds so. I mean, this is like really really inside baseball, and I'm going to sound like a real freaking nerd. But <laughs> I I spent a whole year doing classical theater, and we were very meticulous about using iambic pentameter to unlock the sentence right like really using the form and the structure and like trusting that the two foot like the ba da 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 was there to support support the the line as opposed to a lot of Shakespeare actors will get the line and then be like to be or not to be that is the question and you're like well that's not iambic pentameter that's you that's three different lines you know or like 
like, and so that was sort of what they did with that Romeo and Juliet. Like they used the text and it sounded great. And I love that movie. But when you go back and, and look at the actual lines, you're like, she's like, Romeo, Romeo, <laughs> where <laughs> art okay. thou? Romeo. I'm like, no, it's, the, that's a line for a reason. Like we're supposed to build, we're supposed to use the line. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Anyways again obsessed with form love of form but like a bad reading of a poem destroys the poem like if someone said name a song that tells a man what to expect after prison explains occam razor you're still a suspect after prison you'd be like what the <laughs> fuck are you doing like that's one those are yeah. two lines for a reason like they yeah, should yeah, have yeah. the same flow like, so, you know, you've given us a guidepost, I guess, is what I'm saying. And like, do you think no. about that in the way that you, that when people listen to this, you got to know if you, if I ever hear somebody in public <laughs> reading my shit like that, you know, when, when somebody snatched the microphone, they'd be like, like if they start doing poetry at karaoke and you see me tackle somebody, that's because the karaoke person did that to my poem. <laughs> right. Well, but people do that. People love to like add these pauses, especially in Shakespeare. They love to be like, let me act in between all these words. It's like, no, motherfucker. It's iambic pentameter. Like, ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. You know, that's it. That's what he wrote. Like, that's the whole point. There's, anyways, again, I told you this was going to be, be me getting nerdy about what, Shakespeare. <laughs> but no, but I mean, I, so so this is, this is the challenge of poetry because I think the challenge of poetry gives people too many opportunities to think between the words yes and so sometimes there's so many opportunities to do that that they have a hard time hearing what's actually being said and sometimes when they hear it because they aren't trained to think of it in a certain way like somebody sent me one of my guzzles a new one that i wrote and they transcribed it and this is my man he brilliant right he sent me some shit man and i was like <laughs> the fuck is this who wrote this poem right, I mean, right, literally, right, right like like you know he took he took like four four couplets and it became a 26-line free verse poem. Right. And I was like, I was like, I know I didn't sound like that. Because he was transcribing from listening to me. Huh. And I'm like, I know I didn't sound like that. <laughs> because the guzzle is intentionally instopped at the end of each line. So right. it's like, da-da, 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 boom. Right. Da-da, 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 boom. Right. And then you hit a rep. It's like, yo, you couldn't have heard that. But I, I, but again, again, I think, and, and this cat, you know, he's like an artist, right? This is my man. I know that if I went up into a painting and, and I was trying to say something that happened in the painting, he'd be like, nah, you ain't got to take it there, bro, because that, that ain't even the right color. That's right. cerulean. Right. And you said, you said blue? Yeah. No, that is cerulean. You know what I mean? He might say something like that to me. So I think, but I think poetry gives you the inside baseball to enjoy, but it also gives you, like, like Jericho says in the last line of the tradition, John Crawford, Eric Garner. Mike Brown, which everybody gets. And, and those three names change and shift the entire poem in a way mm -hmm. that I think I think auto automatically you begin to know what and, and literally what happens before that does not mean the same thing as what it means once you hear those three names. Right. Okay, wait, let's take a really quick break because I want to talk like more specifically about some of the poems in the book. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. 
That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. First of all, one of my questions about this collection, and I don't know if you can answer this. This is I'm I'm gonna ask you a question about author intent. So, you know, I understand that you're not him and you you don't know, but the book is broken I into speak for do. Okay, great. <laughs> the book is broken into three sections. What do you think that breaking a poetry collection into sections does when there's no title? We're just like one, two, three. Was there something that you gathered that part one was about or part two? Or do you just sort of read it and just say, Okay. Yeah, I ain't gonna front. I read it and say okay. Okay, me too. Great. And, and, yeah, because because you know, because the truth is like after you read it ten times then you might have a real sense of the movement between sections. But honestly, man, a poetry book is 30, 40 poems. Right. A fucking hip hop album is 13 songs nowadays. They Now they want to do eight joints, right? Right, right, right. So it's like the, the ability for us to cohesively understand 40 discrete different pieces of information that are all packed with a thousand things. Right. You know, I, I even with my own books, I don't even, I don't even, it's just like, Nah, fuck yeah. that shit. You know what I mean? I feel and like I, and the I third, order it yeah. a certain way, but yeah, I feel like the third, the third section was clearly about sexuality and about like his, his sexuality as art. So not necessarily his specifically, but like kind of exploring that section. But the first two sections, I really had a hard time figuring out the difference. And also the third section was about other things too. But that's sort of what I like. The third section felt the most personal, intimate. 
like sexuality, relationships, love. And I feel like the earlier sections felt broader. Like it yeah. felt like this book started broad and kind of like went more and more narrow. So by the end, it was like felt very, that's where it felt the most like Jericho's voice, if you will. Oh, so I wouldn't agree with the last point, but I would agree with the first one. Like you do feel a narrowing in. Yeah. But you kind of feel a narrowing in from the sort of public, private intersection right. to the private, private. Right. And, you know, and one might conclude that the private, private is somehow related to, I don't conclude that it's related to Jericho's life because I refuse, I refuse to believe that a poet is, even when they're talking about their life, their life. Yeah. Because niggas lie. Yeah, well, niggas lie. Right, and, and and also you 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 have an agenda based on art, based on who you want to be in the world, based on who you are in the world. I'm just saying, if if like right. if somebody thinks that I am my poems, they have made a mistake. Right, even when I am my poems. Right, because you know, right. it's just like, but in here though, you do see a clear, like you said, it's like this narrowing to like the private, private, and 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 what's kind of cool about that is that like. Black people don't get to have a private private in America. Right. You know, people tell you, like, like how do you feel about last week? What do you mean how I felt about last week? Because, you know, last week was, was real. For last people, well, this was... will air in two weeks. So last week, we're talking about the week of Dante Wright. We're talking about the week of... No, or, no, oh, no. America's so fucked up. America's so fucked up that last week could literally be... It could be any last whatever week. last week. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But you're, are you, you know? speaking specifically about this most recent last week or no? Yeah, yeah, I just don't want people to like listen because people are going to listen to this like in two months and then they're going to be like, what the fuck was last week? And they're going to be like, it could be any last week. They could be like, how did he know that I ain't paying my rent? Because yeah. <laughs> it was what, what, but no, I am talking about Chauvin. Yeah. And, and Adam. And it's just names. Yeah. I mean, Toledo. Yeah. Adam Toledo. It's just, it's been, it's been. And and you're right. I shouldn't say that it was more Jericho's life at the end. I think what I mean more is like it was the, the writer's intimate life so not yeah, no, like no, the, I, the I character of jericho as we see yeah. him it felt like that like you're saying the first part maybe was like public public then public private and then private private or some or something like that i don't know no it, it's real yeah and, and i think i think it's important to note that I only you know i keep trying to educate people and i might be wrong other poets will get on and be like no that was exactly me Right. I don't know what Dwayne is talking about. You know, Dwayne got some demons he's trying to hide. He <laughs> likes to lie about who he is. But no, I, I I I keep trying to educate people about the notion that the I contains multitudes and the I is multitudes. Right. It's like a, a um, what is it called? A sin eater. The poet is a sin eater. Right. I take all of that shit, you know. I think that's true for most artists and most yeah. people who create things. Like I, one of the things that I struggle with with this podcast a lot is that people think that they know me from these conversations. And like, yes, you do know about me and I don't lie when I come on this podcast and I'm not like, tell you know, I'm not telling you something and then that's not true. But also like, it's such a small part. This is such a small part of who I am and where I come from and all of those things. And I think that that's true for a lot. I mean, we hear about people, you know, going up to celebrities in public and because they think that they know them from you know following them on instagram or something and that there's this right familiarity because you're familiar with someone's art is not the same as actually being familiar with someone like before we talk about jericho poem let me tell you what somebody said to me he says uh yeah bro i dug i dug your poems but you know i don't drink and um and so i really couldn't relate to this the the, the, the references to alcohol in your poems there's a dude in prison and i thought a dude in prison would be the last person that's telling me that he couldn't empathize with my shit hmm. because he doesn't drink. 
And it was wild because I was like, oh, what kind of problems do you think I got? Because I, I work 70 hours a week. I got two children. I've been married for 13 years. And I drink. But I'm all right. Right. You know, I ain't like, I ain't got no DUIs. Right. I ain't got a bunch of empty bottles around the house. My kids ain't never seen me drunk, but like once or twice. Like, you know, like my, my friends don't be like, Dwayne, you got a problem. I don't have a problem. Or, or like, I don't have more of a problem than like. Than anyone else. Yeah. Right. And, and my poems and like, and like he's reading poems. It's like, it's a poem that says, prison killed you, my love. Killed you so dead. You're not here now. You're never here. You're always there. Brown liquor owns you. Those cells own you. And there's no room for me unless I call the police, call the state, grab my pistol and set you free. This cat read that and thought somebody said that to me. Right. Right. And I'm like, bruh, you don't know me, <laughs> you right. know? And and like, you should be able to empathize with that thing that I said, because I empathize with it. Right. And ain't nobody say that to me. You know, right. that, that world doesn't exist. And I think that's why I pushed back against the speaker as poet. Because what happens is we want to be better than the poet. And I'm mm. like, bruh, you, you ain't got to be better than me. You ain't got to right. read my poem to be better than me. I'm all right. And it's, you know, and it's like, we ain't got to do that. But it's two versions of poet as speaker. Because a little kid hit me up and we were, I was doing a thing. He was like, yo, man, I was reading your poems. You got a lot of references to drink. And I just want to know, you all right? <laughs> now, hey, he, some 15-year-old kid in the juvenile detention center asking me with a Yale Law degree and like a family doing pretty well. And I'm visiting him, right? Right. Him asking me, all right, was like both cute and human mm. he wasn't trying to be better than me mm-hmm. in fact in fact he was trying to be thoughtful and caring and empathizing and i right. think that, that that that's the tension that 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 we confront when we try to associate the poem with the poet mm. and most of us don't have a human capacity to be that 15 year old kid and therefore we should stop associating the poem with the poet because when we do it we only do it to sort of judge right do you have any favorite poems that stuck out to you from this collection or anything that you like really worked for you? I mean, given the week bullet points and the tradition and the tradition is funky as hell because the tradition is saying one, I am a poet. And two, I care about shit that you might not predict me caring about, or you might not predict me put front facing it. So, you know, the tradition, I'm a, I'm a reader if you don't mind. Go ahead. The tradition Aster, Nestorium, Delphinium. We thought fingers and dirt meant it was our dirt. Learning names and heat and elements classical philosophers said could change us. Sargazer, Foxglove. Summer seemed to bloom against the will of the sun. Which news report claimed flame hotter on this planet than when our dear fathers. Wipe sweat from their necks. Cosmos. Baby's breath. Men like me and my brothers filmed that we planted for proof we existed before too late. Spared the video to see blossoms brought in seconds. Colors you expect in poems where the world ends. Everything cut down. John Crawford. Eric Garner. Mike Brown, 
Oh, that's a good ass poem. Can I <laughs> can I confess something? Yeah, go ahead. I, this is one of the poems I did not really get. Oh. <laughs> And I did read this one multiple times because it's the title of the collection. I yeah, I was confused. Like I got confused. I do understand bullet points. It's very straightforward to me. But like, I'm glad that you don't get this one. I don't because you know because like look off the top. Aster, Nasturium, Delphinium. Don't nobody give a fuck about that shit. None of us know what that means. But then he says we thought fingers and dirt meant it was our dirt. We all understand that. You think because you planting something in that grass that you could name that the, the ground belongs to you, right? Stargazer, foxglove. And note how he goes from the the sort of um, Latinate names to like stargazer, foxglove, which is the funky name for flowers, right? And we know he's talking about flowers, so he's talking about beauty. Black folks and, and niggas, black men, niggas could be white men too, but I don't really give a fuck about them niggas. But like... <laughs> Not in this conversation, but black men don't get to get associated with loam, with putting their hands in dirt and growing something, right? Summer seemed to bloom against the will of the sun. Now you realize that that's going to come back at the end. We seem to bloom against the will of what might destroy us, right? And then, and it's like on this planet, then um, when our dead fathers wipe sweat from their necks, this whole history, right? It's like this poet, the speaker is trying to remember that it's not just me planting flowers. It's me planting flowers in a world where my father planted cotton or flowers. But but this 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 history um, and one might argue that like like I think Jericho is obsessed, obsessed with fathers. I am, too. But I think he's obsessed with fathers throughout his work in a way that a lot of men aren't as obsessed with their mothers because our mothers ain't hurt us as much. You know what I mean? Right. And then and then and then it speeds up and it says men like me and my brothers filmed what we planted for proof we existed before too late. Spared the video to see blossoms brought in seconds. Colors you expect in poems where the world ends. Everything cut down. Like how do you make evidence? I brought my son a plant today, I should say. Like a, a pepperoncino or some shit like that. <laughs> and 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 I and I brought him a plant that survives well in low light. And it doesn't need to be watered except once every two months. Because I want Makai to like nurture something mm -hmm. and know that it's his to nurture. And I think that the, the travesty of this poem is that it articulates a bunch of boys or men of, of ages that we don't know, both trying to nurture some shit and then record it because they're afraid of how tenuous their ability to do that is. Mm -hmm. So they want to make a record of it. And then it ends. And notice it ends on a rhyme. The last couple it rhymes. Where the world ends, everything cut down. John Crawford, Eric Garner, Mike Brown. And so everything that precedes it becomes a way that black boys are trying to say, I exist in this world. The poem is trying to argue that black boys do more than kill. Mm -hmm. And yet it still ends on everything being cut down. And this list of black men who you know were cut down by the police in ways they didn't deserve. Now, you know, I like that poem, but I'll agree with you that it, it takes more massaging yeah. to get 
And maybe I get it in a different way because I'm taking pictures of plants trying to find out. I mean, I got shit growing in my yard that I didn't plant and and that I'm like, damn, this is amazing. Hmm. And and people are telling me, oh, it's going to happen every year. The bulbs are in the dirt. Right. Even if you cut this down right now, it's coming back. Right. You know, and, and it's attention in that poem because the all of those uh, fancy ass flowers coming back. But Mike Brown ain't, you know. Right. It's this this tension in how how our country, on occasion, far too frequently, even if it's just infrequent, cuts us down in a way that we can't return from. So, yeah, does that make sense? It makes no. Like, nah. No, it makes. Are you total like, nah, sense. I still don't understand that shit. No, I mean, I'm I'm I definitely feel like I'm on an intellectual level enough that if someone explains something to me, I can follow them. So like definitely what you said makes sense. But when I read this poem, and again, I read it a few times because I was like, this is the title poem. I shouldn't probably get this one. I really was like, I don't get it. What happens to me when I feel like I don't get it is I just start to, sort of start to like glaze over and I like stop paying attention a little bit, you know, like, I don't know, probably from school when teachers were telling you stuff and you're like, I don't get this. I want to go. Um, I, that was a hard, that was a hard poem though. And it's much harder than bullet points, which yeah, is like, I think bullet points is like pretty straightforward. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, that's sort of what I, I feel like I need, like the young readers version of this collection where it's like the poems that are straightforward for you to start <laughs> with. And like, then we'll add on more complex things. But like some of like remember, earlier we were talking about poems um, that maybe like have something that makes you like them, even if you don't get the whole thing. And for me, like shovel I, I really liked because there was a lot of consonant use throughout the poem and it like did something to me. I think it was maybe like kind of brought some humor into it or like a sense of play that hadn't been in, in, I guess I hadn't noticed it earlier, but like, that's something that like, I don't know that I, I don't even remember what the poem was about, but I remember being like, oh, I like this po poem because it's, it's like really playing with consonants. Yeah, and I, and I think and I think this is straightforward too, though. It probably is because <laughs> I liked it. But but no, but I mean, but the sounds is what makes it a poem. I mean, the sounds is what carries it, right? And the sounds is what like slips you into the meaning that is is a kind of darkness in it, you know, because it's like who's responsible for, you know, it says I am not the man who put a bullet in its brain, but I am commissioned to dispose to dispose of the corpse. Lay furniture plastic next to it and roll it over until it is wrapped. Tape with duct tape until it is completely contained. Lay next to that containment of tarp and roll it over until it is wrapped again. Take cheap hardwired twine and tie it and tie it like a proper gift. A gift a good child will give up on opening even come Christmas morning. I am here to ignore the stench and throw the dead over my left shoulder and carry it to the bed of a stolen truck. I did not steal the truck. But there it is, outside the door, engine running. I do the driving and assume someone else must scrub the floor of the body's blood. Scrub the body's last room of its evidence. I do the driving and sing whatever love songs the truck's radio affords me all the way to the edge of anywhere hiking families refuse to wander. And I dig and dig and dig as undertakers did before the advent of machinery. And look, I know somebody who had their folks murdered by a motherfucker who dumped their body over a ravine, hoping that nobody would find that shit. And somebody found it finally because, because of Kamala Harris. Because the person had, had, had worked with her sister and Kamala Harris. And, and, and when this woman's sister 
disappeared and they knew somebody murdered her and the police wasn't doing shit. And, and I read this poem and I think, is it beauty in this poem about this nigga that is burying the body so the killer go free? And I think that's what the poem is asking me. It's like, ultimately, ultimately, when we think about crime and punishment, what fucking excuses can somebody make for the decisions that they make? This, this, the, the speaker keeps saying, I am not the man who put a bullet in its brain. Its brain. Right. Not this woman's brain, not this man's brain, not this child's brain. Right. You commissioned to dispose of the corpse? Like, we had a conversation about abolition and accountability. Mm-hmm. What accountability does this person deserve? Right. Who, who in its very rhetoric, cannot even identify the human who has been wrecked by what happened before he came. Do you know what's so interesting, though, about this one for me is like, I totally played into that and felt like this was a character and like that this was supposed to be some sort of comic relief. That's how I read this poem. Like that this poem was sort of like a a moment of like, I, I mean, obviously you could read it your way, which is makes more sense. But for whatever reason, the way that the the consonants like had that pattern like in the beginning it's like lots of t's and c's and then in the middle it's lots of b d's and s's and like that there's this like and like like i heard that and it made me think that this poem was like like in, i read it as like a character do you know what i mean yeah i mean but what's, what's interesting is i ain't feel this way about this poem until i just read it huh and that might be like my third time reading it right and i was so mad that i couldn't finish reading it you know what I mean? Like, right. like I didn't intend to say what I said about the poem. Right. The poem reveals something else to me on the third reading. The poem, I mean, you know, like the poem raises questions that I deal with in, in like in my work all of the time. Right. You know, how do you respond? You know what I mean? Like, how do you respond to this character? Right. Who is who is like my cousin? Right. And, and is my cousin trying to say? And this is this is a poem that ain't got no white people in it. Right. Or this is a poem that ain't got no black people in it. Right. Like this is a poem when you read it as the speaker, it is only the people you imagine to be in it. Right. And so now when 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 I do this thing, when I am this person, the poem is 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 is, is, is fucked up too, because it makes you the person. Right. Because when you say it out loud, you know, you the person that's doing these things, right? And it's like, damn, how should the world respond to me when this is who I am? This is the people that carry Mike Brown, Ergana. This is the dude that carried them away. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. He was that that's the cat that was commissioned to do the same thing. Right. And it and it wasn't illegal. It wasn't illegal. You know what I mean? Like, like in my in my head, I was like, I am not the man who put a bullet in his brain, but I am commissioned to dispose of the corpse. Yeah. Yeah. Lay furniture plastic next to it and roll it over until it is wrapped. That's what they did to Mike Brown. Right. Yeah. It was somebody commissioned to do it. And it's the only thing that this is illicit because it's like my left shoulder carried to the bed of a stolen truck. Right. But you know, but until you get to that point, it could be any person that's disposing of a body murdered by the cops. I think that's also what makes poetry different for me from reading, you know, nonfiction or even a fiction novel is that, that we are asked to bring more of our interpretation to the text than we are when it's a story or like when it's a linear type thing, because we 
I mean, you presented two options for this poem and my reading of it was totally different. And, and I feel like all of the readings, you know, are valid or whatever. And I'm sure other people read this in a different way. And I'm sure some people are like, I didn't get this one. And some people are like, you guys are idiots. It's about this actually, which I'm sure my listeners will tell me later. They'll be like, you're an idiot. Here's what these poems are about. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I'm like, I'm like only arrogant about interpreting poems, but it's cool though. Poems can mean, poems can mean two or three different things, which is ultimately the beauty of them. Right. And maybe the tragedy of them as well. Right. I do want to ask you about the duplex poems because they kind of repeat throughout throughout the collection. What did what did you think of those? Because I did not have I didn't understand what they were doing in the collection. I, so I think they. I mean, it's the form. It's a form that he invented. But I'm a, I'm a cop to liking the poems, but having very little interest in understanding the form. Okay. That's fair. You know, it's just like, I was just like, maybe I'll understand it five readings from now. But I sort of just felt like, you know, it's a thing that contemporary poets do where they invent form. And this one is is like going down and up. It's kind of echoing each other. But the way in which it echoes, it varies to such a degree that it's not like a complete echo. So you just have to think about it a lot more to get something from it. And I'm I'm good. Okay. I ain't even gonna front. I'm I, I like the I like the poems. Right. But in terms of trying to understand the form and write about the form and talk about the form, it just doesn't have that um it don't be bad, but though Dwayne and Spongy say this, but I'm saying like I like a sonnet. You know what I mean? I like right. fourteen lines. I like I am a pentameter. Yeah. I like the I guzzle. love a sonnet. You know, and it's just like so so for this one, I mean I like the invention. Right. But I don't imagine that I would want to write one. And I didn't want to spend the time to understand what the form was. Right. And and, and I still kind of don't. So. Yeah, I, I wish that I understood those better in relationship to each other and to the collection. But again, I struggled there. I do want to just give a quick shout out. Um, Jericho Brown was on the On Being podcast, which I listened to, and it was very interesting. You reminded me of it because you said that he talks, he's interested in his father, and he talks a lot about when he says father, like what what he means, and that he is interested in that there's like a relationship to God and to his own father, and like multiple layers of what father is. And I, I just he talks about it a bunch on that episode. I fuck with Jericho. I don't know if I like that episode of On Being, but you don't. But again. I just felt like it gave oh. me more background into him. I don't know that I... That's, that's, right. Exactly. That's why you exactly. don't like it. <laughs> no, well, I, I like it. I like it for that. But somebody told me once that this is a great podcast to listen to to understand poetry. And I was like, nah, that was great to understand Jericho. Right. I did not and feel he, like I understood poetry anymore. Yeah. And he's fascinating. And so I think it was yeah. cool because you learned things in terms of insight, in terms of like what he was getting at and how he's writing. That's what I but, liked about it. Yeah. I I mean, one of the things that I also struggle with with poetry is like, how important is the author's intent to the reading of it? Like, how is important is it that you know who Eric Brown or we keep saying Eric Brown, Eric Garner is or Mike Brown? How important is that? Because right now we all know, but in 20 years, maybe, you know, like my kids in 20 years might not know who that is. I mean, hopefully they will because I'll have done a good job. But you know what I mean? Like, how important is the inciting event or the biography or the history or the background of the poet? Like, it can't be. It can't be because if it is, and I, I want to read one more poem by Jericho. Okay. It's not in his book, but um, this is this is actually arrogant and narcissistic of me. But I want to say that I think that that Jericho don't matter, and that I don't matter. And I, I wrote a poem after Jericho um, in Felon, 
And um, and it's, it's after Jericho. Don't nobody know it's after Jericho because you know, mm-hmm. like they don't know that that I know him. But but ultimately, like if the poem matters, it doesn't matter because you know that me and him are friends. It doesn't matter that you know that that, that it matters because of the poem, all of the backstory. You in fact, you don't even know because it's called City of the Moon and it's for JB. Mm. So I didn't even I didn't even put his whole name in. There walks a man somewhere, wanting the touch of another man. And somewhere people know that desire. Name the walking man after you, Jericho. Because God once promised to bring a city to his knees for the man circling you with his trumpet. Going down from Jerusalem, a man broke another man. They say those men lost in gospel and what God can't fathom. Odalisk and outstretched arm. They don't know every love is a kind. A robbery, and sometimes hurt is a kind of mending, a body only broken by death. Every moan ain't a cry. This is always about vulnerability. How others afraid to touch a man who touches a man have need to imagine hips and the flesh they flank as a confession. The body threatens. Call that fear suffering. The heathen. Is always afraid of a warm body against his own. And while some say things always return to a man and his desire to be touched and touched, that want to be known governs us all. And you know, like if that shit matters five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, it is not going to be because of some graduate student who recognizes that JB is Jericho Brown. Mm. And it's not going to be because they read some shit into our relationship that is completely non-existent, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to be because they read something about me trying to grapple with everything I'm trying to grapple with in a poem that they can't have a clue on, um, except they're going to cite the stacks and be like, well, in this stacks interview, <laughs> he was talking about- Oh my gosh, you know, I so can't I think- wait to be a cited source. That's my dream. <laughs> Oh, well, shit, we should cite ourselves then, you know, because that's what Columbus did. Columbus was like, I found the new world, and he cited himself into people believing. Okay, do you, I mean, we're running out of time. I only have one more question for you, um, which is- I'm going to read the first Oh, yeah, couplet, read, then. read a little bit from the Jericho Brown poem, not in the book. From, from Hustle, just because you don't like, it's self-referencing. Okay. They lie like stones and dare not shift, even asleep everyone hears in prison. Dwayne Betts deserves more than this dry ink for his teenage years in prison. In the film we keep watching, Nina takes Darius to a stepper's bar. Lovers hustle, slide, and dip as if none of them has a brother in prison. I eat with humans who think any book full of black characters is about race. A book full of white characters examines insanity, but never in prison. His whole family made a barricade of their bodies at the door to room 403. He died without the man he wanted. What use is love at home or in prison? We saw police pull sharks out of the water just to watch them not breathe. A brother meets members of his family as he passes the mirrors in prison. Sundays, I washed and dried her clothes after he threw them into the yard. In a novel I love, Brownfield kills his wife, gets only seven years in prison. I don't want to point my own sinful finger. So let's use your clean one instead. Some bright citizen reading this never considered a son short hair in prison. 
In our house lived three men with one name, and all three fought or ran. I left Nelson Demery III for Jericho Brown, a name I earned in prison. It's crazy. I want to say one more thing and then before you answer your question, okay, right? Go ahead. Actually, like reading that poem again, which I hadn't read in years, I realized how many layers it is to it. And it, and it again echoes this thing about the father and how we think about our fathers. And maybe one of the reasons why I fuck with his poetry is because me and my dad got the same name and I didn't give my son my name. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that it's layered. The guzzle allows you to talk about so many different things at once. Mm. Um, okay, so this is how we always sort of end these episodes, which is just to talk briefly about the title and the cover of the book, like the packaging itself. Obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about the poem, the tradition, but I think that also what, at least for, I'm going to start since I already started talking. <laughs> I think like what I like about, I mean, this cover is gorgeous. I think this is one of the, my most favorite covers I've ever seen. Um, I just, I love the flowers and the flower crown. And I think that those things obviously come up a lot in the, in the book. Um, and I love, of course, the black child. And I, I like that there's a call to like perhaps some sort of slave clothes is like what it, that shirt reminds me of, but also maybe prison clothes. Like I feel like the, the cover is very ambiguous. And then, of course, the ocean. And, and I just feel like it, it covers so much of American traditions, right? Like the slave. Tra I just feel like I see so many options there, but also maybe this is in Africa before. Like I, I just the the cover feels like a poem in the sense that I have no idea if I'm right or wrong, but I'm thinking a lot of different thoughts about it and its relationship to what's inside, which I think is very cool. And then also it's just really beautiful. So that's what I'll say about those things. You know, what's wild is, um, you know, those are daisies. Those are tulips. Like I have all of those, um, the, the, the flowers in my, in my, um, in my garden. And I live in this house that, uh, we bought by the, from this cat that was 85. And, and, uh, and he was cool as shit. I mean, he made a beautiful bookshelf. And this is basically the reason why I wanted to buy the house. <laughs> it's, made of, it's made of bricks and cinder blocks Ooh. and like planks. And it's, it's beautiful, right? And so his wife loved tulips. Mm. And, um, and, they, and they was like really deep in the garden. And they lived here for 30 years. And again, we moved in before we could see those things. Um, and so now this spring, we're seeing all these flowers that we didn't know would come up. Mm. And they'll come up every year again, you know, right. sort of like the the regeneration or whatever. So I, I think that the cover is beautiful, right? Because what it's saying is, um, if you know about flowers, you know that that these what you see, the beauty you see, is fleeting, right? And you might imagine a time period between like you know June and April as a suffering, or you might imagine it as a regeneration. And black folks in America have had to deal with those kind of time periods for quite, um, you know, all the time. Mm. It's our experience. And the question is, do we think about the tradition as one of suffering or one as regeneration? And like, ultimately, I think what the book is trying to say is that it's one of regeneration. And I think um, the ability to speak about the suffering is like the mechanism that gets us toward regeneration. Right. It's always hard to talk about a book. I mean, we could have spent like two hours yeah. you know, talking about every poem. Right. But I think at the end of the day, the poems say something about um, what it means to become. Sure. And the cover captures like that becoming. Right. I also think it could be about suffering and regeneration and that for many of us, those things are linked deeply. You know, yeah. they're of the same, they're of the same flower, right? Like 
it's like the flower and then the pollen that gets all over you if you have like a lily, you know? You got to cut that part out. <laughs> and and, you know, and I, I don't have any allergies. My, uh, my wife got allergies, right? And it's wild because it's like our relationship to nature is completely different. Mm-hmm. And for her, the suffering and the beauty is completely intertwined yeah. because she loves flowers, but, right. you know, allergies and shit. Yeah. I mean, I think I think what makes this collection really good is that it is complicated and I feel like there is lots to revisit and and lots to unpack and like the like just with the title and the cover there's so much there like what tradition tradition for who whose tradition where when what you know and i think like that's the mark of a good a good anything is like it's worth discussing it's worth being confused over and like not getting it necessarily well even in that poem because you could argue that the tradition is like this country murdering black men or you could argue that the tradition is black men growing things i was gonna say because you said we don't think of black people like we don't think of black men growing things and i think that's interesting because now we don't but a hundred years ago it's like all people thought about black men that they were good for growing growing shit shit. like you know like and so i think that's also interesting is like the way that the tradition shifts through time and sort of kind of what I was asking about like needing to know the inciting incident or like needing to know the history or the biography is like, is that important? Um, We've gone so over today, which whatever, fine. This podcast is a treasure though. I got (laughs) to tell you, you know, I think, I think one of the things is like just to care about literature and spend time with each other. Caring about literature is one of the things that like sustains the culture and the community and um, and I am really grateful for you doing this because poems are hard. Yeah. But you know what? As hard as poems are, we just like talked about them for like a long time. And we talked about everything that fills the space around them. And I think when we recognize that that's what poems are for, poems stop being hard and they start being the beginning. Right. You know, and, and like, yeah, it's a, we could go back to Jericho's book again and again. Right. Just because something's hard doesn't mean that it's not, you know, worthwhile. It just means that okay. it takes a little bit more. Um, I'm so glad that you were here. We didn't even talk about the Million Book Project. I will do it in the intro, of course. But just a reminder to folks, we are raising $50,000 for the Million Book Project, which is the nonprofit that Dwayne started. And it brings books into prisons, new books, books that are beautiful and have beautiful things to say. And we're raising $50,000 to do that. And if you can contribute in any way, and if you've already contributed and you can find, maybe you got paid since the last time you contributed, you can find another 10 or $20. That would be amazing and huge. And you have until May 6th to, to make that donation. And, and we'd appreciate yeah, and it. And I should say, and I should say, I mentioned a couple people who responded to my book and, and it's folks who responded to other books that we've been sending into them. And what's cool though, is that, they are responding to the books and they are starting to start, they are, they are starting a conversation about what a book means. And even if I don't necessarily agree with how they read my book, like I'm going to write one woman because she was like, I opened this and I was like, Oh, another black lives matter treatise. And I was like, yo, you know what? I'm gonna write you a letter. Hmm. Cause first you open my book, but you didn't read it, but I'm gonna write you a letter because this book has begun it's become the start of a conversation that might like actually matter. Mm. And so when folks are donating, I think that we are just saying the reason why books matter is because they allow us to have conversations that sometimes our imagination before opening the page of that book doesn't prepare us for. Mm. Even if we're wrong, I'm going to write homie back too. Yeah. Cause, 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 cause what I want to say to him is, you know, 
You can't be in prison wanting people to empathize with you and suggest that you can't understand an experience you haven't experienced. Right, right. And so I appreciate everybody who donates. Yes. I think um, it's like it's become my life's work. Uh, And it started when I was 16. So it's kind of cool that the same thing that mattered then matters now. Yeah. I love that. Dwayne, thank you so much for being here. And everybody else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you again to Dwayne for being my guest. Please consider making a donation to the Million Book Project through the link in the show notes. Help us hit our goal of $50,000 towards getting books into prisons nationwide. Our May book club pick is Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, and we will discuss the book on Wednesday, May 26th. Tune in next week to find out who our guest will be. Please make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, visit us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Sebastian Alcala is our sound editor and producer, and our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. Our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.